In London, technology is the Silicon Roundabout. Introducing a new talk show dedicated to the people of the London technology startup scene. Silicon Real. Each week, interviewing entrepreneurs, venture capitalists, financial technology, accelerators, and incubators in an exciting three-person format. Learn about the people behind the innovation. Locally filmed, locally sourced. Silicon Reel. It's about the people. This week, Silicon Reel is brought to you by Sage and the Bag Yourself a Billboard competition. What is that? That's a very good question. How would you like to own your own billboard, much like the one behind me, but located right here on Old Street for two entire weeks in June in order to promote your startup or small business? Sounds like a fantastic opportunity, right? It's easy. All you have to do is submit a 60-second video describing why your business is the best in the UK. Make it fun. uh, Make it interesting. Make sure you don't use any copyrighted music. Submit that video at bagyourselfabillboard.com. The winner will be chosen on May 1st. If you win, you own this space behind me for two weeks in June. Plus, on top of that, they're going to give you one million unique ad impressions to promote your business. In fact, I just decided that I'm going to enter the competition as well for London Reel and Silicon Reel. I'm going to make my own 60-second video, and you might see my mug smiling up there in June with my logos next to me, branding the heck out of my message. So get involved. Go to bagyourselfabillboard.com. Submit your video. Hell, you can even make it from your iPhone if you want. Just make it fresh. Make it creative. And you might be selected. And you'll own this branding space. And uh, get your message out there to everyone. You guys ready? Yeah. Okay. Here we go. This is Silicon Reel, the weekly talk show dedicated to the people of the London technology startup scene. I'm Brian Rose. I also host London Reel. It's the same studio. We got a little bit different types of guests. We just recently had astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson, who uh, was a former wrestler in high school, and he put me in a headlock. You know, I know. And I didn't do anything about it. He's quite big. Um, we've also just had uh, Edward Snowden's attorney, Jessica, uh, Jesslyn Raddick, and we had Nelson Mandela's prison guard uh, sitting in that chair right there. So it's pretty crazy, pretty crazy story going on there. You can check us out. Who you got coming up out of curiosity? Uh, we have uh, a guy from a band called Enter Shikari. It's like a huge kind of like hardcore punk that mixes like trans electronic music. And he was speaking at the Zeitgeist Day, Z-Day, uh, about a week and a half ago. So I interviewed him. And he was, I meant, I meant to say during the show, dude, you're really a rock star. Like, really? <laughs> but I forgot to say that. Um, but he was a really cool guy, really smart guy, really quiet and mellow. And then you look at him on the videos and he's just like going crazy on the yeah. microphone, but like really nice, easygoing guy. So cool. anyways, that's coming up. You can check that out at londonreal.tv. But today we're here to talk about tech. My co-host is none other than Colin Pyle, uh, who uh, rides motorcycles across China. You've got crazy companies going on, Lingos. We're drinking your crew cafe. Delicious. Uh, yeah, it's delicious. I like it. It's kind of lemony. It's not too yeah. strong, so it doesn't give me like... Like the headache I get yeah. from espresso. The smooth Arabica beans only. You're the so. king of coffee, aren't you? There we go. Well, I'll take you can that make handle. martinis as well. <laughs> and espresso martinis last night. Um, no, things are going great, man. Just super, super busy. Um, have some wonderful press coming out this week for crew. So Sunday Times and Independent, Evening Standard. Wow. And yeah, it's going. How do you swing up. all that? Well, it's primarily from uh, John, so business partner who's the. We'll call him a celebrity chef. We'll okay. go there. I'll go there. Um, he, his TV show kicks off on Monday. So a lot of stuff uh, for his oh, TV fantastic. show. And then London Coffee Festival next weekend. So there's lots of stuff going on for that too. So Good. It's good to have Is famous it, uh, co-founders. 
Maybe that's something we can get off of this. Exactly, because my TV show didn't make me famous. So. Yeah, well, we won't go there. <laughs> there we go. Um, awesome. Before we get to our guests, I just want to thank uh, our sponsors. One of them is FinTech Innovation Lab. They just had seven of their companies uh, pitch uh, recently at the Royal Institution at Mayfair. I think it went really well. Yep. Uh, we had one of their companies, Pixel Pin, in here uh, months ago. Awesome companies, awesome stuff. If you want to get in touch with them for investment purposes, you can email them, fintech at Accenture.com. Um, so thanks to those guys. And to TaskRabbit, who uh, just landed in London about four or five months ago. Uh, what you can do is you can outsource tasks to other people in your community. They'll clean your house. They'll fix your car or what they do for us, which is back-end Silicon Real stuff. So they have yeah, some it. highly skilled people over there. Yeah, it's great. Um, You'd be shocked at what they can do for you. Yeah, we had Lauren, their head of community, on here a couple months ago. She's awesome. And so uh, please welcome these guys to London. It's taskrabbit.co.uk. You can get 25 pounds uh, with the code REAL25, yeah. and you get like two hours of free work. The lit- and for the beards, they like clean up afterwards. Like yeah. These people will they'll hook you up. So thanks to them. Anyways, on with the show. Uh, sitting here in studio is Easy Vidra. Uh, thank you for being here. You are the head of Google Campus London, which is Google's first physical startup hub, uh, providing entrepreneurs with work and event space, mentorship, educational programs. You guys are celebrating your second anniversary this week. Wednesday. What you guys have, I mean, I look all your tweets, you got royalty coming through there, you got all sorts of things happening. <laughs> it's been an amazing week. Uh, I just, for some reason, I figured the campus had been along much longer than that. You must yeah, get people too, saying actually. that. I think I aged more than two years, but uh, <laughs> we officially opened the doors two years ago. It's like dog years. That, yeah. you know, that is fantastic. I just want to finish off your resume. You're also the head of uh, Google for Entrepreneurs Europe, uh, which empowers startups and entrepreneurs around the world. Uh, you had an event. I, I just came from the campus, so we're going to talk about that a little bit. You're also the founder of Tech Bikers which is a cycling community that uh, donates to children's libraries. I think you guys went to Paris? Was, it, was that your From last Paris year? to London. Paris to London, yeah. yeah. Okay. We had Not some... quite uh, China uh, <laughs> more cycling, but I can tell you more about it. Some of our guests were on that trip, so they've talked yeah, about true. it. Um, you're uh, a native uh, Argentinian. You're raised in Israel. You speak uh, fluent uh, Spanish, Hebrew, English. Um, easy. Welcome to Silicon Real. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. I'm, gl- I'm glad you're here. I just got you know, the King's Tour of Google Campus, or Campus London as we will call it. And I got, was it five floors, six floors with the basement? It's, uh, it's seven floors if you count the basement. Okay. And yeah, the minus one, zero, and up to five. Okay. You, uh, you're doing your second anniversary celebrations this week. You told me you have an 1,100 events there in a year. Yes. That's 360-some days. Yeah. It's like an average of three a day, including weekends. And the incredible thing about it is the range of events. It goes from anything like uh, regular meetups, where it's communities like AngularJS, like really hardcore techies, and meeting to talk about a certain technology or women in tech or hackathons over the weekend. Just uh, about a month ago, we had something called Flood Hack. You might have heard about it uh, yeah, on Twitter yeah, and stuff. Yeah, I did, I did. You know, like the UK got hit with the worst floods that it had in its history. And the, the tech community was called by the government and said, you know, the government said, like, the hardware companies, I'm not talking about laptops, like, right. you know, the construction companies are giving us sandbags and shovels. What can the tech community do to help? Um, know flood victims so it was february 14th valentine's day and we sent an email out to the community we got 200 people to sign up in less than 24 hours to come on a hackathon on a sunday this was friday they came on a sunday we had to cap the registrations and then the result was amazing they built 17 prototypes that you know two of them got funding and eight of them i would consider like really high quality so this is just an example of one event out of the 1100 but we can talk about each one and it's like magic happening every day there's like a really magic atmosphere over there. Like I was starting to get a little bit of the buzz as you took me from like basement up to the second and third floor. And it just feels like anything's possible over there. Mm. Is, that, is that by Google design or why is I'm that? I'm so glad you came. You know, it's, uh, 
usually when I describe what campus is, I say that if there was an equivalent between real estate and software, campus would be an open source building. It's like a physical operating system for startups where you can plug in in different ways, right? So there's a cafe, and in the cafe, any entrepreneur can sign up and work from the cafe for free. Now, we didn't invent the coffee shop. You know, there's been coffee shops before. We didn't invent Wi-Fi. But when you have a community of like-minded people that are all smart and passionate and all building companies, and they come together, you know, there's, there's a lot of magic that happens. I, I, I think that it's about serendipity, really. Like, the, the person you're going to meet, the next person you're going to meet can change the course of your company. So people talk to each other. People sit there and just absorb the atmosphere. Some people are local and regular. Some people just come straight from the airport, and they know that they can come to campus and be with the like-minded uh, startup community. And then uh, we had, for example, on the ground floor, which you've seen, the demo day of Le Camping, which is a French accelerator that we support in Paris. And 12 of their startups pitched on stage. They're doing a roadshow of their demo day, and they just came from Berlin yesterday. They're doing London at campus, and then they're going to, to other cities as well. This is a great example of building bridges between communities um, and then, you know, there are 12 startups, and then they had beers and VCs, and everyone was talking. And then you have the co-working floors, you have accelerators, you have seat camp, you have Startup Weekend Europe. So it's a whole, like, theme park for startups, and you can just decide how you're going to plug in. I think, so I've been there, too. I think the energy is great. And I've been to a lot of places in the city. So many have popped up, right, in the last Like co-working two, two. spaces. Yeah, so without getting into names. And just some of them are just just the wrong energy, the wrong environment, the wrong, it just doesn't feel right, you know, whereas you guys, it, it really is, it's open source, it's people, I think the, the fact that people can just hang out in the basement for, you know, for free, it's like, you're right, you know, people can just show up in the city and know that they can go there and, you know, find someone to chat with, find someone to have a beer with later, it's, it's just really cool. At the end of the day, you know, um, communities are not made of buildings, they're made of people, and we try to curate this community and, and make it really accessible and open and and we help everyone so it doesn't matter if you're building on google tools or if you are just starting or if you're going to raise a million dollars or you're going to fail tomorrow you know we try to help everyone through the programs and the activities that we do so a lot of the stuff is done by the community and by our partners a lot of the stuff is also done by google and googlers and so just as an example you know every week we have a program called Google Office Hours where we bring Googlers to mentor startups one-on-one -on, -one, uh, on different topics. So I think today it was on social media. You can check out campuslondon.com. And 20, 27 startups signed up to receive mentorship from Googlers. So it's a place that you know that you can come, have a cup of coffee, excellent Wi-Fi, speak with someone smart about your company, and then just hang out, like you said. Yeah. And you know, it's not a, there's some co-working spaces that I've seen that are really good. But I think that the combination of everything, like co-working, accelerator, events, you know, coffee, everything together at one place is something that I haven't seen before. And I think that that's actually the model is working. Yeah. Can you take us back two years and talk about where you were when you were creating this thing? And did you, I'm guessing you didn't have this wonderful amount of success right away. I mean, it's amazing we're catching you this week because it's like, you know, so many awesome things are happening. You're celebrating your second year. But, you know, was it always this way? And did you have a certain number of things in mind when you came, you know, to create this space? It's a great question. I... So my background is product management. I pretty much had every title before and after product manager, working for different companies. I also co-founded my own startup in Israel that developed text input solutions for PDAs. I'm dating myself. Personal data advice. I remember that. Oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Um, and um, and then I, I did business school. You know, 
sorry about that. But the, yeah, me too. <laughs> now you have to apologize for having an MBA. You know, like the, it's not cool these days, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. you know what's yeah, the startup valuation uh, method? You add a million dollars for every engineer, and you subtract a million and a half for every MBA. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's uh, funny. We had the, um, Matt from Entrepreneur First, right? And he's like, all you know, his program is all about you know tech and smart people. I'm like, where are all the MBAs? He's like, no, we no. catch keep them away. They don't accept them, do they? Don't no, 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 yeah, no. Okay. So, no, M- MBA can can teach you a lot of things. That's a separate that's a separate topic. But I did my MBA at London Business School, and uh, I was finishing my MBA. It's an executive MBA. And I decided, okay, like my last job, I was running search for AOL Europe. And I was managing a team of senior product managers in London, Hamburg, and Paris. And I felt like, okay, I'm not learning so much as a product manager anymore. I'm more like managing. I want to do business. So I joined Google um, to do business. And I, I joined the strategic partnerships team. And it was really cool because I got to launch products. And I launched Google Shopping in Spain from scratch. Um, I launched local shopping in the UK, which was connecting to realtor, uh, retailers' physical inventory. So you, if you wanted to buy, let's say, a phone, you could see where it's available online, but also where it's available near you on the shelf and if it's in stock right now. Mm. Uh, so it was a really cool experience, but really my passion was startups. I was taking personal time off to go and mentor startups in accelerators, and I was uh, pretty much, like, I had a blog, I still have, that's called VC Cafe. Um, right now, it's ranked number four um, in top venture capital blogs. If you believe out of the top 50, if you believe those rankings, uh, I was surprised myself. And um, I was coming back home and searching in the intranet of Google for startups, venture capital, what's going on? Am I ever, you know, is there any opportunity? And then I found out that uh, Eric Schmidt has this crazy idea that we're going to do an innovation center in London. Maybe it wasn't that crazy, but like he just announced that we're going to do an innovation center. So I saw who created this internal site, and I sent her an email. She was a director of consumer marketing. And I said, like, hey, I found out that we're doing this innovation center. Can I help? And she said, well, in a few months, we're going to be looking for a head for it. So that's the only cue that I needed. And then I went and I set up uh, about 35 coffee meetings with different friends in VC, accelerators, startups, etc. And I said, if Google was doing this innovation center... You know, what do you think are the challenges, the opportunities? Do you think I would be a good fit? You know, what do you, what do you think I should put as my priorities in this case? And I wrote my first 100-day plan before they offered me the job. So when the, the time came for the interviews, they asked me, what are you going to do as the head of campus? And I said, well, let me show you. <laughs> and a lot of the stuff that we do today were in my original plan. So you're asking me, like, did you have the success back then? Absolutely not. Like, there was a lot of conspiracy theories of, why is Google doing this? You know, people were saying Google's doing this to poach engineers, to invest in companies for cheap, or to steal their ideas, which it's all wrong. Um, but it took, it took a long time to prove our worth to the community and, and really operate the space in the principles of Google, principles of openness, innovation, you know, like uh, diversity, etc. And uh, I think I never stopped to look back never until this week when we celebrated the two-year anniversary because I have a, a real baby. Like, campus is my baby, but I actually have uh, <laughs> a son who's a real baby. And uh, I feel it's incredible. You know, like I'm looking back and I'm really, I feel really proud about what we've accomplished with an amazing team. And it's a little bit of a startup inside Google. So, yeah. Why call it Campus London? Was that important? Because, um, you know, language is, is very important, you know. I think campus is a really fitting name for it because um, it's a little bit, it, it wasn't that trivial, by the way, because we call the Google offices campus. 
So when someone goes to Mountain View and they go to the Googleplex, it's called the campus. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a little bit confusing to some people, um, but it is a place that's really dedicated for learning uh, and for community. And that's what a campus is about, right? So um, I think that's fitting. Uh, you're not going to see... Um, it's not like all classrooms like university and stuff. There's not a, a quad in that sense, but you do have a lot of smart, like-minded people that are there to learn, network, connect with each other, and um, yeah, everyone's kind of like wearing the startup attire, right? Like hoodie, sneakers. <laughs> Today I'm a little bit dressed up because I had some important meetings, but usually you would find me in like a T-shirt and a hoodie as well. So that's, it's casual. It's not a corporate environment. It's not like an office. Like we, if you look at the ceilings at campus, it looks like a Sarajevo after a bombing. Yeah, yeah. And that's on purpose. It's, looks like a rave. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not, so that's, it's on purpose. And what did it look like one year ago? It, it different? Yeah, we made, we made a lot of changes. Um, two years ago, it looked terrible. Uh, when we took over the building, I mean, I, I joined, I started leading this project when it was a construction site. And I, I was lucky to work with the architects and, you know, be able to input uh, into the concepts and kind of like what we wanted to do with the space. It used to be Barbican offices, and it was the most corporate environment you can imagine, like an office from the 70s <laughs> with suspended ceilings and carpet. Like orange carpet or? Awful. It's awful. actually like the office, the, the British TV show. <laughs> yes. Like an, like, like an office that immediately makes you depressed when you walk in. Um, so it came a long way from there. But... Um, now that we, we turn to, you know, like we, we talk to startups a lot about building an MVP, minimum viable product, and then iterating based on your user's feedback. So I guess that campus followed the same principles, and we built an MVP. We started with the minimum viable product. We had some teething problems, and, and not problems, but just challenges, stuff that we learn along the way with, like, access and how do we manage all of it and... Uh, uh, you know, like what's the, how do we connect people within the building, etc. I think the biggest change that we've made uh, this week, actually, is um, that Central Working, our former partners that used to manage the cafe at campus, graduated and they opened their own space um, in East London. And the cafe at campus is now managed by campus. And we took a slightly different approach to it. And we said, let's make this a little bit more high tech, you know, because we used to have the cork board uh, even back then. And we used to have, like, the registration system, which is really cool because you register online, you get a code, and then you come to campus and we give you a plastic card that matches your online profile to the card. So when you check in, we know who you are. Now we have, like, these giant touchscreens that show you the tweets or, you know, people's messages about campus live from all over the world. We have a tag cloud that shows you what people are saying about campus. We, all the pictures that people take on Instagram... Um, you know, if they tag them Campus London, they show up on the screen. And we have these, like, ticker screens where we can put messages and let people know, like, hey, um, Bill Marys, the general, manager, the general partner of Google Ventures, is speaking now on the ground floor if you want to come up. And that's the biggest change that we've done. Another change is that we installed uh, cameras in the event spaces so we'll be able to stream events going forward. So I can imagine Campus in a few months maybe, where you can sign up to attend an event physically, but if you don't have a campus next to you, it's going to be very challenging for you, so why don't you tune in live to the event? And what we're trying to do is really make this startup knowledge, you know, first of all, demystify it a little bit and, and make it more accessible, but also, like, you know, level the playing field. 
So if you can get inspired by someone or, or learn how to use a tool or how to do marketing or whatever, you have a way to do it engaging with campus even remotely. Now, you guys are building some big offices in King's Cross, and Google is going to move everyone there at some point, right? Because you've got offices in Victoria, Tottenham Court Not Road. Not campus, actually. Okay, that's my question. <laughs> is campus always going to be something separate? Is it true you report directly to Google Ventures in America, and you're the only guy over here that does that? Um, yes. I might have some inside information. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm part of the Google for Entrepreneurs team, which is part of Google Ventures. So usually when I explain it, I say Google Ventures invests in startups for equity, it's an amazing fund. They invest for financial return. It's not a corporate venture capital arm in that sense that invests for strategic value. Google Ventures is a financial fund that uses the, the power of Google and the, the resources that Google has to help their portfolio companies and as a result is able to add a lot of value. Google for Entrepreneurs doesn't invest in startups. We invest in startup ecosystems. And we do it through partnerships in some cases and in own and operated projects in some cases. So Campus London is our European headquarters and it's probably you know, the biggest manifestation of uh, what Google for Entrepreneurs can do or does. And uh, we also have a campus in Tel Aviv. We have partner spaces in Europe, in, in Paris and in Berlin. So in Paris we, we partnered with Numa, which is a new um, sort of center for entrepreneurs in Silicon Sentier, which is this... Uh, kind of like their version of Silicon Roundabout. It's a seven-story building filled with startups. Actually, there's a six. It's modeled after campus. It kind of looks like campus. And, uh, and then we have the factory in Berlin, which you probably guys, you probably heard of. Yeah. Uh, it hasn't fully launched yet. It's uh, fully launching in June, and it's going to be great when it does. So we're able to connect these communities to each other, but also to Google, and, and there's a lot of good stuff that happens as a result. And this company I saw today that gave a presentation, will you, is, will you invest with them or just help them out? How do you partner with them? At the moment, Google Ventures doesn't invest outside of the U.S. Right. Um, That's so, strange, right? Well, it's not that strange. Google Ventures is a, is a new fund. It, start, it was started, in, well, relatively new. If you, if you think about the life cycle of a venture capital fund, it started in 2009. You know, it takes you like three or four years to show results. And um, it, I think it's now in a stage where, like, they built a team of about 60 people and they make, um, you know, f something like uh, $300 million a year of investments. Right. It's about $1.5 billion total. $1.5 total. They, had, they add a minimum of three, um, $300 million a year. The investments go from anything from, like, 100000 to, like, $250 million that they invested in Uber. Um, so I think that... It's the model uh, is now in a stage where it's being proven, but until now, Google Ventures hasn't invested in companies outside of the U.S. And there's also a level of maturity as well. You know, like the Silicon Roundabout or Tech City is not where it used to be two years ago. So it's, it's, it was also very different back then, right? It wasn't as attractive maybe. But I think that more and more, the news about what's going on here and in London and also in the rest of Europe is starting to to make its way to the U.S., and people are starting to notice. <laughs> took, a, took a little while, right? <laughs> took yeah. a while, but people are starting to notice that, uh, you know what, actually innovation can come from different places, and London is, is a really interesting market for it. What reaction do you get when you go back to San Francisco or, or New York, and you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm the Campus London guy. 
has it changed in the last two years? Um, before I moved to London, I used to live in San Francisco. And before I moved to San Francisco, I used to live in New York. So <laughs> I, uh, I don't quite look at it as a foreigner, you know, because I, I, I know what they're thinking. In New York, when I was living there, if you weren't in finance, you were a second-class citizen. I used to work for a startup. And <laughs> That's harsh, but okay. I used to work in finance. Harsh, but in yeah, New York, yeah. But yeah. So you were a first-class citizen. I used to work a startup, in a startup in New York that did financial services, but I was a product manager. And it, I think that now it's very different. And, um, and San Francisco, you know, has the highest density, or the Bay Area has the highest density of tech startups anywhere in the world. So I think that when you go back now, it's a little bit like, if you go to San Francisco, they look a little bit like you're from New York, like, you know, like less developed startup ecosystem, but, you know, maybe something interesting. And I went, last time that I went to, uh, to the Bay Area, I spoke at Stanford and, and I gave a, a talk about the, the London startup ecosystem. So I think the more we communicate, uh, you know, the wins, the more they co we communicate, the things that make London special, uh, you know, like the, the density of network that we are able to achieve here now, uh, the areas of specialty and you know, some of the key benefits. I think that the UK, for example, is one of the most progressive uh, countries in the world when it comes to like angel investment, tax breaks and, and policies. It makes it really attractive for people to invest. Crowdfunding, you know, is regulated. In yeah, the equity crowdfunding. Equity crowdfunding. You can, you can do it, yeah. So I think that there's a few things that are, are special to us and we don't celebrate enough and we don't communicate enough, especially to, to um, North America. So I think that, you know, even though they may look at it as a smaller ecosystem, we need to go there with confidence and, and talk about what we do and, and more and more we'll, we'll get their respect. Feels like we should make a documentary about this right now because like everything's changing so fast in yeah. this community and it has all these factors. You know that the city financial district is literally like blocks away, and you got this ecosystem that's developing. And like five years from now, we'll look back and this tax situation that's probably never going to be repeated in history again. And like we're in the middle of it, and we probably aren't noticing it. Right? You never notice when you're in the middle. Yeah. But I, I think like money talks. You know, a few big exits in L.A. over the last few weeks, and all of a sudden it's like, ooh, L.A. is the new tech okay. place. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I really think just, just these, these money headlines of, you know, $2.2 billion or whatever, Facebook bought, uh, what was it, Oculus or whatever? Oculus Rift. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, there's another, another big exit in L.A. too, digital, digital production company. So the headlines love these half a billion, two point whatever billion, and it's just we need those. Yeah, it's I something think. that we ask every guest that comes on, and I might as well ask you as well. Is it what do you think London has as kind of a, an asset over other cities? And then, you know, what are its liabilities? You talked earlier about having more confidence. We've heard that from a lot of people here, VCs, where people pitch, you know, the billion, you know, the billion dollar idea right. when it should be a hundred billion, you know, that kind of thing. It's just not scaled enough. But what do you see as an asset here? I mean, you've lived everywhere. I can tell you what's not an asset, and it's okay. the weather. Oh, uh, I mean, that's the one thing that we can all agree that it's really. Not Depends where you come from. Hey, guys from. You're from Israel. Yeah, exactly. From Israel the on the, yeah. yeah, Toronto minus 20 and, you know, freezing that's rain. True. And that's wind. true. This, this hey, is everything breeze. is relative. That's yeah. like, there's a yeah. bright spot even <laughs> exactly. in the weather. Yeah. We um, didn't really have snow this year. So no. I'm just saying. I yeah. think we had that's a winter. True. It was a pretty mild winter, but like, it's, it's so cold. It's the end of March. Come on, give us a break. Yeah, it was cold. I'll give you that. It was a little cold. Yeah. So, <laughs> I'm um, getting soft. I've been here for almost three years, and I think like two degrees is cold. Yeah. Besides the weather. Then. Besides the weather, of course. So um, I think what's going, what the strengths of London are the talent. First of all, our ability to attract talent. 
One, because you have some of the best schools in the world in London and down the street, you know, down the road in Oxford and Cambridge. And there's lots of international talent that comes to these schools or to work in the city and stays. And some of them trickle to startups. And that's really unique. And the other thing is the concentration of capital and wealth. This is one of the richest countries in the world. If you flipped London upside down, just a city a few blocks away from here, you know, you would have more money than the rest of the continent. And a lot of that money is now being directed to startups, which I think is a key strength. And, and finally, I think that you have this like, concentration of um, brands and the financial industry and you know, every agency in the world, every brand in the world, and it's so concentrated in one city. Like in the U.S., if you wanted to speak to the politicians, you go to D.C. If you want to speak with the entertainment industry, you go to L.A. If you want to speak to the media industry, you go to New York, you know, like, and so on and so forth. Here, you take the tube, and it's like two stops away, or you take your bike. And I think that's really unique uh, about London. So increasingly, you know, in, Israel, in places like Israel or San Francisco, if you throw a rock, you're going to hit an entrepreneur, most likely. In London, it wasn't the case. But in East London, it's starting to be the case. And it's cool to be an entrepreneur. Graduates finish school and they feel like, actually, startup is a potential career for me. I don't just have to go and work for the bank. So I think that we have a lot going for, for London. Although we're still very early in the journey of London, I compare it mostly to New York, but it's going to take us much less time to get to where New York is today than it took them. And the liabilities, there's, you know, unfortunately, the cost of living is a structural, you know, risk that you can take out. It costs a lot of money to live in London. And if you have a 50,000 pound investment, it's going to last you less, probably. And technical talent, there seems to be a shortage of technical talent. Just look at the cork board at campus or the job board that we have that's really popular. Um, and technical talent is this thing that's in, in most demand. And from what I hear, the graduates don't leave school with the level that the startups need, you know, need them to have. So they, they study classic computer science, but studying computer science today doesn't mean coding, and it doesn't mean hacking, and this is what you need to be a successful startup. So it's like that classical Cambridge education, yeah. not necessarily, like you said, doing the hackathons and yeah. coding real-world solutions. We need to adapt the curriculums and make them much more you know, tied to... First of all, new technologies, not just what we've been always studying in the past. And second, it needs to be much more hands-on, practical. Um, and then there's the other thing about ambition, vision, confidence, uh, which is a cultural thing, really. And it has to do with role models. And, and it has to do with, uh, you know, with being exposed to it. Because, frankly, if you're a first-time entrepreneur and maybe you're afraid of failing, you, know, it's, you don't want to take even bigger risk you want to get to revenue relatively quickly the angels you know want their money back relatively quickly it's a, it's a question of maturity and i think that that's going to change and it's going to change with role models and it's going to change where you know with this like some sort of thought leadership of people hearing like bill maris was talking at campus on tuesday it's okay to fail you know silicon valley is dripping with failure and actually you want to invest in someone that failed before because then they know they already made a few mistakes on someone else's dime, and and you can count on the fact that they learned something out of it. So I think that we need to keep saying it, not take things for granted, and um, we're going to get there.
Yeah, that's uh, it's interesting. I think that's going to change really fast, just because I know it's a British cultural thing to you know not to be a little bit risk averse and to you know let, you know look at the newspapers. It's like we rip down our celebrities and that kind of thing. Yeah. But in London, I mean, look at the three of us. You know, we're all foreigners here. There's so many foreign people coming through this town that it's becoming its own kind of personality of you know visiting people in finance or tech or whatever. And I think that whole mentality will change. Super fast, faster than an American city, I would guess. I think I agree with you. There was, a, I just read, read in some article that uh, you know Scotland has their their bid to maybe they want to become independent, maybe, and they're they're asking their people if they want to be an independent country versus being part of the United Kingdom. And then some people are saying that London should be its own independent country, like you know we have city our state. city <laughs> state, Singapore or something, yeah, and. and I don't think that we want to go there, but uh, it, it is a metropolis and it's a, it's a very unique place. I, th- I remember during the Olympics, the mayor said that London is the only city in the world that no matter what nationality you're from, you're going to have a local fan base of 10,000 people minimum, no matter what country in the world you're from. We just ran last month a survey of campus members and we got something like uh, 1,300 responses. So it's a small sample of the campus community. From the 1,300 responses, we actually haven't fully released the the results of the survey, but I'm giving you guys a nugget. People, we asked people, where were you born? People responded from 98 different countries. <laughs> okay, from like Argentina to Zambia. You have the wow. entire gamut of A to Z. 98 different countries. And this is, this is also something that we should, shouldn't take for granted. Diverse teams make better decisions. So you need to have people from different cultures. You need to have women in your team. And if you if you don't, uh, if you're running a startup and you're a uh, you know group of buddies from school, I would really encourage you to to increase the diversity of your team because you're going to make better decisions. You're going to understand your users better, and uh, London is very unique in that sense. And you can find this diversity. Take us to 2017. You're celebrating the fifth birthday of your baby, uh, Campus London. Uh, what does it look? How does it look different? Is it bigger? Is there a Google Ventures arm somewhere hidden in the seventh floor? It, what, what, what do you want? What would you want? Because uh, <laughs> this, this is the real question. Like, I would ask you know, my users, what do they want? Um, look, I, I you, like, treat, you treat it as a startup. Yeah, totally. And I, I like to say yes a lot, and I like to take little bets, and usually they pay off. Um, so we're going, to, we're going to keep experimenting. Like Right now we're, we're about to launch the second class of a program called Campus for Moms, and that started in Campus Tel Aviv, and we did one in London a few months ago, and now in, on April 8th, we're launching the second class. And one of the participants, I don't want to say the, the company because for privacy, but uh, she was the, the chief marketing officer of a big technology company and that's global, and she's opting to participate in this. Now, what's, you know, how, how will 35 moms going through intensive training in startup going to change the world? We think it will. And, you know, we think that we have to start somewhere. So our vision at Google has always been, you know, think big but start small. So I think that, I don't know that where we're going to end up, but I think that by 2017, you can be sure that we're going to start a lot of different initiatives and see what sticks. I love that idea. I've yeah, never heard great. anyone pitching me moms. That would make a good reality show <laughs> as well. <laughs> There's so much that can be done, right? It's just... You know, a guy starting up a business for moms is pretty tough. You see guys start up businesses for kids after they've had kids. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's you know what's the biggest audience of uh, casual games? Moms. Yeah. You know what's the biggest audience of e-commerce? Moms. Yeah. 70% of people buy Nespresso pods or 
female. There you <laughs> go. A lot of them. And, and yeah. you have a female co-founder, which is great. But yeah. Yeah. I think that we need to have this awareness uh, that actually this is something that it's, it's not going to change unless we change it. And when you change it, it's going to be for your benefit. So a lot of the programs that we do focus on this sort of stuff. Um, like what else? I, I can tell you that uh, we're now um, running a program called Black Box Connect with our partners in Silicon Valley, where we are taking a startup from um, different major hubs where Google for Entrepreneurs is active. They go through a nomination process and then they go through a selection process. And I believe right now there's a, something like 20 startups in Silicon Valley for two weeks. And they're living in this house, sorry. Okay. They're living in this house and they're getting mentorship and support and they get to meet people like Kevin Rose and they get to meet with, with you know, serial founders and with VCs. And then they take this knowledge and they go back to their countries. Some of them are from Pakistan, you know, India, South America. And I think that we're... By bringing these people together and giving them the best training that, that they can get, we're not only creating magic for them, but we're also enriching all these communities. And I believe that there's a lot of debate between if entrepreneurship is something that you're born with or that it's taught. And in my opinion, entrepreneurship is contagious. It's something you get contagious. And the way that you get it is by practicing it or by knowing someone that practiced it. So some of the stuff that we do is we do it directly some of the stuff we do through partners like startup weekend that i introduce you to which essentially they they run this event format that lasts for 54 hours where you come on a friday and it's, usually it's 100 plus people from different backgrounds some developers some designers some business people some people that work for a law firm whatever you may be doing you may be a butcher or a barber or whatever you come to a startup weekend and about 50 percent of people pitch an idea on stage like i want to do a like a dog dating app. <laughs> and the crowd selects the ideas that they want to work on. Usually it's about 20 projects. And they you know, divide themselves into teams. And then they spend 54 hours creating a prototype and, and working on, on the idea. What it does is that it lets hundreds of thousands of people around the world taste entrepreneurship. And then statistically, about 30% of them quit their job and join a startup a year after participating in a startup weekend. So we're the biggest supporters of Startup Weekend globally. Um, I sit on the board of Startup Weekend Europe that officially launched yesterday. My manager sits on the board of Startup Weekend Global or App Global. And you know, I think initiatives like that and partnerships like that enable us to have this widespread reach and help people become entrepreneurs. That's a real safe way of sort of trying it out too, right? Exactly. Because a lot of people, it's such a risk for them. They might have a mortgage or kids and to sort of quit their job but go for a weekend and sort of play around and test some ideas out. and See, see how it, it feels as yeah, well. Yeah. It's not that you have to continue with that idea that you played around the weekend, but you're going to feel what it's like to work with a, you know, a multi-talented team. Like what yeah. it's like to work with a designer or developer. How do you validate your idea and like get customers to use your product? It teaches you a lot. And even though it's 54 hours, some of these projects actually survive and become companies that raise money and, you know, and, and do the thing. For example, there's, a, there's one called Play Captcha. And I think maybe I'm butchering the name. And what they're doing is they say, like, there's a billion captchas. You know what's a captcha? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. It's yeah. A characters you have to type in to yes. make sure you're, they can determine you're a human. I get less than 50% of those right. I'm really bad at those. <laughs> right. Sometimes <laughs> you have to, like, refresh. I know. I'm and like, you're, like, stare at them. I'm like... <laughs> Like, huh? they show you, like, the Rorschach <laughs> like paintings now. It's, like, so hard. <laughs> so this guy said there's a billion of them served every day. Okay. Every day. Yeah. 
And instead of typing something ridiculous to prove that you're human, couldn't you do something different? For example, if there was a goal and you had to like flick a ball and like score a goal, wouldn't it prove that you're human because you have to click in the right spot, etc.? So they gamified it, and now they have like major brands working with them to to make their captchas animated and into a game because there's better engagement and you can put a brand there. So that's an example of a startup that came out of Startup Weekend and out of campus uh, in this case, and it's doing really well. How much of your job is communicating the message? Because you know Kevin Rose, you mentioned from Google Ventures, you know he's really well known because he does tons of great shows, media, he does interviews, his podcast, everything. Like, how much of your job is is, is getting your message out there? I mean, it it comes. Uh, there's ups and downs, or not ups and downs, but sometimes more, sometimes less. Um, recently, I've been really heads down focusing on on the anniversary of campus and, and launching a bunch of programs. I manage a team of volunteers at Google, 20 percenters. You know, Google has this concept of 20% time where you can spend 20% of your time um, working on something that utilizes your skills, but not necessarily what you were hired for Google to do. Can anyone do that in Google? Or you have to kind of elect to do that? Traditionally, it was mainly for engineers, but okay. because there weren't that many opportunities for non-engineers to participate in that. So, for example, Gmail started as a 20% project, yeah, I heard that. and it became a real, you know, massive product. Um, but I needed help with Campus, and I put in an internal system like this opportunities for Googlers to get involved and help me scale programs. And I, I got about 50 people to apply the first time. I interviewed about 25, and I hired 10 and to run different programs at campus. And these are people that are experts in what they do. Like I needed someone to run a survey. They're from the research team at Google, that their job at Google is to run surveys and analyze data. And I needed someone to run social media, and I have an amazing guy from Wildfire that, you know, it's like a startup that was acquired by Google that does social media competitions and stuff. So I take experts um, to help me, and, and sometimes it's really all-consuming. Um, so this work on different programs and formats and partnerships, etc. I do a lot of traveling. Sometimes it requires doing media, but it, it really it's ups and downs. I don't spend most of my time doing media. Okay. Something I want to ask you, I'm sure everyone's thinking that's watching, is I want to know what is it like to work for Google? And what would be the difference if this was the Microsoft Campus London or the Cisco Campus London or the Telefonica Campus London? I don't want to get you in trouble. But if you could answer those two questions. Yeah, so I'll be honest, and I, I don't want to sound cheesy, but um, if, you wanna, if you're going to work for a company and not work for yourself, work for the best company you can, or like the one that, that you feel inspired by. Because if you're inspired, you're going to come to work happy, and you're going to be passionate about what you do, and it's not going to feel like work. For me, Google is that. Like... Uh, my friends used to call me Hazugol in Israel. <laughs> like, it's like I, I was always... <laughs> I was always good with, uh, with search and like, I was really passionate about Google and Google products and stuff. And, um, and um, yeah, it, it, it's been a little bit like coming home for me. I had an offer from Google or I passed all the interviews in 2006 um, in New York. And um, at the same time, they were taking a long time to get back to me between rounds. And my girlfriend at the time was now my wife said like, why don't you apply somewhere else in the meanwhile just so you, you talk to people? Like you, you have other interviews and you're not just nervous waiting for them to call you. And I wasn't used to like, you know, Americans sometimes just interview for the sake of interviewing, like mm -hmm. to have the option. Right. In Israel, it's like, no, if I don't want the job, why would I even spend the time? 
And Ask.com ended up making me an offer in, in California at the same day. <laughs> like I talked to three people. They said, we'll double your salary, move to California. You know, when can you start? And in Google, I told them, look, I have an offer from these guys. And they said, well, congratulations. You passed all the interviews. And in three weeks, we're going to have a committee with Larry and Sergey review each application. And we'll let you know if you get an offer. And I said, no, I can't. The offer expired. So in some ways, it was coming back, coming home for me to, to join Google and when I did four years ago. Now, so you took the S.com in 2006. I did. I did. Bird in hand. Yeah. Double, double the salary going to Cali. <laughs> I, I usually say like... That, like, yeah, you, that should be a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It should be a rap song. Yeah. yeah. It, was, it was awesome and I, no regrets. Like, okay. uh, it was, it was a, it's a great, like, smaller but still you know, very profitable, innovative company. And I got to work directly with the CEO on some crazy projects. And, and I became a senior product manager within a year where at Google, like, you know, it probably would have taken longer. But um, yeah, you, to answer your question, like, what if the campus would be run by another company? Um, I can't answer that question because I don't really know. But I'm friendly with, uh, with a lot of people from Microsoft Ventures. You know, my friend Sachi runs Microsoft Ventures globally. Um, and Diane, who runs Microsoft Ventures in the UK, did Tech Bikers with us. And they sponsor Tech Bikers. So I think that different companies have different models and different cultures, and they're all valid. And there's some people that it resonates with more or less. So if you're you know, doing enterprise tools, maybe you want to go to the Cisco accelerator incubator. Um, so it, it's, I'm not ruling it out. I think that there's more room for corporate support in general, and the more help startups can get, the better for the startups, which is great for the community. And... I'm just, I can just attest to what I do, and I, I definitely have like the Google culture and the principles of innovation at Google and in, in what we do. You know, we strive for excellence, we measure success, and we, we have ambitious you know, like goals. We think, we think big, or we, you know, we want to make a big impact. It's not just to tick the box. I, was, I got a tour of the Google headquarters in Tottenham Court Road by Daniel um, Araujo. I think he's a brand manager over there. He runs a lot of like, the big data stuff. And I, he was walking me around, and people were leaving at 6 o'clock, and he showed me the cafe. And I was like, people are leaving early? And he's like, yeah, yeah, they encourage you to work the hours. If you're staying up late at night three days in a row, he's like, you're probably not working efficiently. So he's like, all these, you know, all these right answers you think you would hear in an interview or something. <laughs> and then I was just like, after 45 minutes, I was like, Daniel, are you, do you watch your back? Are you always worried about keeping your job? Because Google's like a dream job, you know? And, I always wonder, is it, you know, is it a place where you feel like, man, I really need to innovate this month or I really need to stay on top of my game you know, to stay working for the best company? Have you heard of the term OKRs? No. So it's actually something I recommend to a lot of startups to look into. It's, it's objective and key results. So every Googler has OKRs. And, and you set these goals and they're, they're quarterly and they're measurable and they're public as well. Other people know what your goals are. And... Mm. and and to, to get promoted, it's really hard to get promoted because you have to exceed expectations several quarters in a row. And, and, you know, the goals are aggressive to begin with. They're not really easily achievable. So although you have everything, you have, you know, the food, you have massages in a Google office. We don't have it at campus. I, I gave my perks a long time ago. Um, There's no massage room in campus? <laughs> this is the maximum I got. You're, you're like the outpost in the Wild West frontier. Yeah, I call know. it Cyberberia. Uh, so you know although you have all of that people work very hard and they 
Google tends to take overqualified people um, for the role, not in a bad way. It's like because the company is likely to grow, you're going to be expected to do the next step of your job, right? So like if they take you like too green, you're not going to be ready to to do the next step. So people work really, really hard. It's not that you're you're watching your back in the sense that you know you don't want to lose your job, but because you have these like clear goals and because they're transparent and because you need to exceed these goals in order to get promoted, it's almost like a self-policing system. And I actually highly recommend watching the video by my colleague at Google Ventures, Rick Clow, on OKRs. Because if you are able to create this culture in your startup, at the end of the day, what you want is self-motivated people. That It's like a self-driving car. This is what I tell my 20 percenters. Um, so a great 20% project, it's like a self-driving car. Like we set the direction together and you know how to get there. But in order to do that, there's a lot of insights packed into it, right? Like a lot of tech, a lot of decisions, a lot of like different systems working with each other. And, and this is what you want to create in your company. And you guys are developing a self-driving car as well. Yeah, they're, that they're quite amazing. They're quite amazing, yeah. And Google X is doing, that's one of the projects that Google X is doing. Google X is Google's innovation or R&D arm in California and you know, they created Google Glass, which I have a pair here. I can give you a demo later. Yeah. And they have self-driving cars, which looked like science fiction a few years ago. And now people are saying, like, you know, the, the founders actually feel like the longer we wait, you know, with introducing self-driving cars, the more lives are unnecessarily lost on, on stupid accidents. And it's, there's huge use cases for industry and agriculture, etc. And there's Project Iris and Project Loon. I don't know if you heard of them. Project Iris is a contact lens with a chip that measures the level of glucose in your tears for diabetics. So mm. instead of pricking, hitting yourself yeah. with yeah, pricking with a needle, you can always know if your level of sugar is in the out of the regular norm and you get an alert when it happens. And Project Loon is um, providing... There's 5 billion people in the world that are not connected to the internet in remote areas, that countries that don't have the infrastructure. So these are balloons that fly 30 kilometers um, yeah, you know, over, over the earth and provide Wi-Fi connectivity to people. I just heard Facebook's doing something similar. I'm not sure if it's the, something with satellites trying to connect sort of those 5 billion people, right? That's the next huge opportunity yeah. for the world, not just sure. for Google or Facebook. It's like more than half the planet is not connected. Like, What's going to happen when we're all connected? What can you do? Like when everyone's double the entrepreneurs potentially. <laughs> I don't think it's going to be enough double the entrepreneurs, right? Because uh, right now entrepreneurs are maybe ten percent of the population, but you're going to have like, you know, more than fifty percent more the users. And so, which is know, why they, I they, think the diversified staff is so important because you know you grab guys from China and India and you know these areas that are massively populated where there's a lot still to totally, get online. Totally. And sometimes we think that we're the most advanced in everything, and especially if you live in the West Coast, you know, you think like there's no innovation happening outside of Silicon Valley. Right. They feel like there's something in the water. That's the only place where you can innovate sometimes. No offense, Silicon Valley folks. Um, but um, actually, there's places in Africa that are more advanced in mobile payments than we are here in London and in education, you know, like and in communication, manufacturing and fashion. And I think eventually every industry is going to get disrupted by tech and software. It's just a matter of time. And Mark Andreessen, the uh, founder of Netscape and Ning, and, and now he runs a very successful VC um, fund that just raised a billion and a half yesterday. 
And he says, he has a famous article that says, software is eating the world, or software will eat the world, which means that every industry, as you know it today, is going to get disrupted by the internet. And, you know, to, to an extent, even what you're doing with, with crew, right? Like, yeah. you want to change how things are done. You know, maybe no longer have to buy your coffee in a supermarket. There's, you can do a subscription, and we'll send it to you. Everything, fashion, education, um, you know, manufacturing, whatever. You know, I always ask people sitting here a question at the end. I'm going to hit you with the same thing. If you could make a phone call to the 20-year-old easy and give that young man a bit of advice, what would you tell him? Buy Bitcoin. Buy Bitcoin. <laughs> could you buy it then? Could you buy it then? Wait, know, wait for want. it to come out and buy it <laughs> and when buy it comes it. out and, and start, sell, it, sell it when it was a thousand. Start And start mining. Yeah, start mining. <laughs> yeah. And create your own Bitcoin maybe first. Yeah. Um, do, you, uh, do you have positions in Bitcoin? Is that something that... Are there a lot of projects in Bitcoin that are happening at campus? That you know, um, I know a couple. Um, I mostly have regrets with Bitcoin. Okay, <laughs> you and see, uh, they, they, they go missing. You see, no, it's <laughs> it's like uh, Mount Gox. It's like you know, when, like I lived through the the first bubble, and I didn't invest in startups then. I didn't join a startup in time, and I missed the bubble, right? And like, and then Bitcoin happened, and I just remember like tweeting. Kevin Rose put on Twitter that like, you know, it's hitting 350, and he had an algorithm that told him like, okay, he's gonna sell some at 350, and I'm like, you, you know, that's probably a smart move because I don't think it's gonna go any higher. And then like two weeks later, it was at a thousand, <laughs> but then it was at 650. So I think sometimes you just have to do it, you know, JFDI. Just, just fucking do it. Yeah, Jump, jumping go. frog di- digital incubator. <laughs> the uh, on Bitcoin. So some uh, an Australian real estate company started accepting bitcoins. Um, primarily to attract Chinese investors. Okay. It's interesting. Nice. Yeah, isn't Virgin Space accepting Bitcoins as well? Bitcoin is huge in Argentina because no one trusts oh, because the no banking one, system. Right, or the currency or the inflation numbers or anything. So there's startups that are being set up just to do Bitcoin for Argentina. So, yeah, that's a, that's a booming one that uh, it's really interesting, I think. But uh, other advice that I would give my the 20-year-old me um, is... Uh, Always remember work-life balance. Okay, you weren't always good at that. <laughs> no. So I think that's important. Like if you're if you don't invest in yourself, you're not going to be effective at what you do. And we all tend to, especially when you're doing like startup stuff. You know, it's it's all-consuming, uh, crazy hours of the day, working weekends, sacrificing everything, and sometimes you have to do it for a period of time, but it doesn't work for the long run. So. For example, this morning, I woke up last night. I had a, a big night last night. I had a big week. <laughs> but I woke up today. I went to the gym. You know, I do meditation. And I have a baby. Now, right now, they're abroad. They're in, in Toronto. But uh, I tried to come home uh, for time for the bath. It's really important to, to keep this work-life balance. And it's going to make you more effective. And at the end of the day, success is about balance. It's about rounded. It's... Usually, if you, you can be very successful in one side of your life, but it means that you're sacrificing something else. And I forget exactly what's the the compromise, but they said something like, you know, you can be, you can have um, kind of like friendships, career, or love, but you can only pick two of them. You know, so like, pick yours wisely. Is it those, are those the three? Friendships, I think career, I, maybe okay. I'm butchering it a little bit, but like. There is this like compromise that you have to make, yeah. like 
don't uh, don't make the wrong compromise. Yeah, you can't sprint the whole way. And I think as young men, you know, when you're an entrepreneur, you're like, oh, I'm going to do this. Hardcore. And women. And women. And women too. Yeah, that's true. That's true. All right. Uh, and then you try to do it for two years and then you have a breakdown and you realize you're just so unhappy that you don't want to get up in the morning. You don't want to get off the sofa. And then you're like, now what? I have friends that uh, were very successful, but, you know, I don't want to name any names for their privacy, but when they finally, like, reached massive levels of success, you know, like, you know, like generational wealth, it didn't make them much happier. They sacrificed a lot to get there, but you know, the result, the outcome on its own, didn't make them that, that much happy. And then they went and did it again. And because it's about the journey and it's about the thrill and it's about feeling like you're, you're doing something productive with your life and, and you know, fulfilling yourself. And so if you want to go for the long run, like literally and figuratively, you, know, you, you need to pace yourself. On that same note of advice, what's uh, the best advice you've ever received? Um, good question. I always ask people this question, but I never thought <laughs> about the answer for myself. Somebody asked me these questions the other day, and I didn't know what to say. Really? So, that the makes best advice I've, I've ever received. I've been in that received. chair, so I've yeah, yeah, you have. Yeah. <laughs> um, wear sunscreen. No, I'm joking. Basler. Um, I think that um, the best advice I've ever received was from my wife, actually. And she said... You have to create opportunities. And it sounds maybe trivial, but what do I mean by that? For example, when I was having this situation, like interviewing uh, with Google back in the day, and kind of like I was waiting on this one thing, but like, why wait? You know, you have to create opportunities. So I'm like, yeah, I could apply to other places, but could, you know, could, should, maybe, all this stuff, it's not creating opportunities. Creating opportunities is sending your CV, interviewing, and getting an offer. Now you have an opportunity. So you have to create opportunities constantly. And I had a manager that said that good people should always interview. And it's the same thing for startups as well. Even if you're not thinking about interviewing, it's like you should always think about disrupting yourself, you know, like constantly create opportunities. And many times it's, you do this by, by helping others. And, and sometimes you do this by taking risks or, or by trying something that you haven't tried before, like learning, you know, like I taught myself and... I started blogging because I wanted to teach myself what it would be like to like host a website, like develop some features for it, uh, you know, like consume all this information and make it into something that other people would appreciate. And I think that that's the best advice that I got, like creating opportunities. Disrupt yourself. Like We've never one. heard that before. No. Disrupt yourself. I like that. I like that. And creating opportunities, I think what you even did inside of Google to get your current job is phenomenal. Like, you know, Go to the go to the interview with a one year plan. It's creating a realistic opportunity for you to get that job. Yeah, you know, it's it's it's. I believe that luck plays a role, but you have to. Make it sounds cheesy. You have to make yeah. your own luck, and making your own luck means creating opportunities. So, just uh, you know, I, I believe that it's a it's a part of it is being prepared, and being prepared means being interested. It means constantly learning. Um, it means reading, you know, it means not thinking that you know everything and like uh, learn from others, seek mentorship, ask questions and, you know, the, like, what's the name of that book? How to Make Friends and Influence, Influence People, people. Mm -hmm. by Dale Carnegie. Yeah. And he said like, interested is interesting. Right, like people that only speak about themselves, and now I feel bad because I've been talking this whole show, <laughs> but I'm doing this to share. Right, right. And um, so people that just speak and don't ask questions, 
you know, you're not going to learn much new because you already know what you know. Yeah. Ask questions. Be interested. And yeah. Last bit of that question is, uh, what's the advice you give to that 20-year-old that's listening to us somewhere, you know, in China or Australia or the States? Um, what advice do you give to them, you know, if, if they want to one day, you know, be part of the Campus London or be in the tech business? Yeah, so to be part of Campus London, that's very easy. Um, I mean, there's many ways that you can get involved, but the first step is become a member. Go to campuslondon.com and sign up. And that means that you get a code, and with that code, you can come to campus and work from the cafe. You can also sign up to one of the many events that we do every day, and you don't have to sign up for it. Just apply, you know, sign up to the particular event. You don't have to even be a campus member, although I would recommend it. Um, so you can also sign up for mentorship every Friday or come to campus EDU or uh, you know, participate in Campus for Moms or one of the many programs that we organize. You can also apply to for workspace and apply to, you know, to rent a desk at Tech Hub or apply to SeedCamp and, and get access to their fabulous, uh, fabulous network of mentors around, the, around Europe. And go to Startup Weekend. Next weekend, there's a Startup Weekend at Campus. It's going to be amazing. I think you guys should jump um, just to come and see it yeah. and tell me what you think because it is, it is a very unique environment. Um, so there's many ways that you can interact, and it's up to you, but it's very simple. All the details are on campuslondon.com. What advice I would give the 20-year-old um, starting startups or you know, wanting to get into startups? I would say, of course, you know, like follow your passion and, and try to solve a real problem through technology. And if you don't have the skills, the technical skills, I would recommend that you spend some time in acquiring them or, or learning at least about them. So you can speak with a developer that you're working with and understand their challenges and what's possible. Is that learn how to code? Is that what you just said? Yeah. Okay. I mean, you can learn how to code or you can learn how to design or you can be really good at UX or you can be a growth hacker or like learn how to get people to sign up or, you know, learn the motivation behind clicking, whatever it is, learn technical skills. Um, and... Don't underestimate the experience that a big company can give you before you become an entrepreneur because you're going to learn a lot joining a big company and sometimes it's good to have this like at least couple of years of experience of seeing how teams work, what's, you know, what's email etiquette, how to run a meeting, you know, how to work with a team and I'm all for people following their dreams and stuff but you know maybe you don't have to drop out of college necessarily. Although there's many examples that would prove me wrong, like uh, you know Steve Jobs, Bill, Bill Gates, Gates, Mark Zuckerberg. Zuckerberg. <laughs> but there's three of them, and yeah. there's probably a lot of skeletons of people who dropped out of college and ended up in much less fortunate positions. So don't underestimate the value of education. That's all. Yeah, we've talked about this before. You know, we, we we both are fans of potentially you know getting out of school and working for a corporation for a couple of years and yeah. seeing how things work there. On the I just had a curious, you know, I think a vast percentage of our listeners would be all want to work for Google or maybe one day work for Google. Any advice for, you know, the kid out there that, that wants to work for Google? How do you do that? Well, my job is to encourage more people to become entrepreneurs, not necessarily <laughs> to come and work for Google. And not everyone will be able to work for Google. Sure. But um, I would say all the job openings are out there. If you go to google.com slash jobs, you can see all the openings. Probably the best way to get into Google is through referrals of people that already work at Google. And, um, you know, you have to, if you, if you don't have the skills now, think about how you can get there, right? Like if you want to be the guy that's an expert in analytics, you know, 
be an expert in analytics, teach it to yourself, like go to events and classes and learn the tools that will make you very successful in that particular area. But, um, but really it's about, it's about fit, the right opportunity, the right skills, the right time. Um, and you have to try to know. So I would give people my email uh, and encourage them to send their CV to me, but, uh, Let's not do that. <laughs> but I guess you're probably saying just basically become the best you yes. because Google is looking for the best. So Exactly. And be prepared. Thank you for that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And be prepared and get some skill sets. And let's be honest, it, it, there is a technical element here. So, you know, get skilled in one or many of those elements. Yes. So you can at least speak the language. And have a plan B. You know, like when sometimes people have a very one-track mind and this is a problem with, with perfectionism. It's like successful people... I've had probably good outcomes, right? Like they, it was always like this, right? Like they tried something, it worked, tried something, it worked. Problem is what happens when it doesn't work and you fall on your ass? You know, like don't let it kill your game or, you know, get you off balance. Like have a plan B. And there's a great book that I read by this Israeli guy, professor called Tal Ben-Shachar. He's a lecturer at Harvard. And it's called The, the Pursuit of Perfect. And he says the difference between perfectionism and uh, optimalism. He said perfectionists, they never actually experience success. And to one of my faults is I consider myself a little bit of a perfectionist. That you never really experience success because whatever you achieve, you feel like, ah, that's not good enough. Like, because, you know, I, maybe I'm the squash champion of London, but until I win the so European the championship. you get to the bar, you raise it. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and then when it doesn't work, you just don't know what to do because, like, this is... That's what all your whole plan was like to get that. So optimalism is instead of the line going like this, it's like, you know, rounds and rounds and rounds and still pointing up, but you're going to have ups and downs. It may not work for you to work for Google, go, go work for another tech company, start your own, have Google buy you, you know, <laughs> like work with the company that sells services to Google and, and get to know how Google operates that way and then apply. I work for, you know, different search companies before I joined Google and I became an expert in search. Like I worked for Shopping.com in Israel, and I was helping organize shopping data. And then I worked for um, Gerson Lerman Group in New York that was um, an expert network that connected experts mainly with hedge funds. And so like I, I was classifying people's information. Like I was trying to understand what do you know, what's in your head, and getting people access to what's in your head by understanding that and connecting it to the right people that need access to that information. Then I worked for Ask.com, and I was managing vertical search. And, and then I moved to London, and I joined AOL, and I was running search in Europe for AOL. And by the time I applied for Google, I had such a rich portfolio of search product management experience that I didn't really, it wasn't a big stretch. But if I went straight to Google, you know, on what basis would they hire me? I wasn't the best in anything. And I didn't have these diverse experiences from different countries, different cities, different products, different industries. So, you, you know, it's not going to be one size fits all and it's not going to be the only thing that you do. Like have plan B and plan C. And optimize your life for what's best at the moment. So optimize your current situation. Yeah. Don't try to perfect it necessarily. Exactly. Okay. But you're, trying, you're not necessarily living that. You're, you're constantly battling between those constantly two. Constantly battling. Um, last question is, what does the slogan, don't be evil, mean? And is it something that Google people still say, or is it a joke? No, it's, um, it's really one of the principles of the company. When Larry and Sergey, um, before they went public, 
they wrote in 2004, um, I think. They wrote the Founders Manifesto, and then they set the principles according to which the company will run. And Don't Be Evil is probably the most famous one because it's so bold and, and simple, really, that, uh, that it attracts attention. But what it means, it means like do the right thing. You know, like we try to do things that make the world a better place. With uh, some products that we do are not making money for Google and actually probably costing money to Google, but we do them anyway because they make the world a better place. And one example of this is Google Books. You know, when we started with Google Books, um, it was unclear, first of all, if, it's, if it can be done. You have copyright issues, like how are you even going to do that? Like the books are paper and then like Google's algorithm is software. And, and famously, like Larry called one of the engineers to his room and he's like, okay, how many books are there in the world? And, and he said, like, give him a number. And then he said, how long will it take to scan a book? And he said, like, I don't know, like we've never done it. So he got someone to buy him a scanner for his room. He took a book and he scanned each page. And then he made like a formula of like how many books and if this takes like this amount of time and with the improvements, with a better scanner, etc. And he's like, yeah, we can do it. So let's launch the first version with like 100,000 books. And long story short, um, you know, like Google did this to help get people access to this information. So I think don't be evil is really do the right thing for humanity, not necessarily for money. Um, and there's many other examples of Google doing this sort of thing. Fantastic. Um, we could keep you here for another hour, but uh, I'm going to wrap it up. Um, Easy, thanks so much for coming. You know, you're not only a good ambassador for Google, but the whole campus is like a whole other, you know, a different venture, you know. Thank it, you. It really is a crazy campus. And like I said, go by and check it out. I got a really cool vibe when I was there. I was starting to get a little bit like kind of drunk on all the, get just, and everyone's such a good vibe of people and you get like drunk with all the ideas going on. I don't know. Did, is Next it, time you come, you should talk to people because uh, yeah. honestly, you, you can ask questions and uh, everyone will be happy to tell you what they're working on. And maybe you can get more people for the show that way, you know, like you don't have to be, uh, to reach a certain level to be interesting. Everyone has a story. Uh, definitely, definitely. Sure. Um, awesome. Uh, if you're listening to us on iTunes, you can come check our faces out at a YouTube channel, Silicon Reel. Um, we're at Silicon Reel on Twitter. If you want to get a hold of you, what's the best way? Campus London? Um, CampusLondon.com or my Twitter, which is E-D-I-G-G-S or E-D-I-G-S. Why is it that? Um, long, really story, long story, long okay. story. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Nickname or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so those are the best ways to yeah. hold you. Yeah, and uh, if, you, if you're in tech and you're a cyclist, uh, we're going to announce the new dates for Tech Bikers, uh, September 19 to 21. The first year we did it 40 people, uh, although they told me that the maximum was 30. This year, last year we did it with 70 people. I think that this year we're going to try and go to 100. We cycle from Paris to London 320 kilometers. It's all founders, VCs, techies, and we do it to raise money for charity to help kids get access to education. So if you're in tech, watch that space, techbikers.com. Fantastic. Yeah, we know some people that went on that trip, so that's, yeah. a, that's quite a ride. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, if you're uh, listening to this and you want to be a guest on the show, send us an email at hello at siliconreal.com. Um, it's all good, right? Yeah, it's all good. Keep, keep, you know, keep the Twitter. We love the feedback, love the guest suggestions. Uh, you know, if you want to help out the show and you're just interested and, you know, maybe just new to London and want to sort of meet people and help us out, always looking for help. So just tweet at us and uh, I'm usually the guy answering it. So 
Yeah, fantastic. Awesome. Well, um, you know, this is the show dedicated to the people of the London technology startup scene. It's about the people's our slogan. Easy, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. It's pleasure. Uh, it's been awesome. I'm thinking about actually releasing this also as a London reel. What do you think of that? It's cool with me. All right, good. Awesome. Um, I, I wish you well. We'll probably talk to you uh, next year at the third anniversary. And uh, all the best to you guys. Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. Cheers. 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 There's a scramble for Africa at the moment, like there was a scramble for Africa in imperial times at the end of the 19th century. It's, it's 80% of Africa is now with a mobile phone. But what's going on in Lagos with e-commerce is unbelievable. Lagos is the type of city where you expect to see drones in the air. You okay. know, it's like Blade Runner and it's bonkers, but it works, you know. The drone goes all the way around Mount Kenya and delivers 10 on the way back. It's like the magnificent men in their flying machine. The new Amazon, I suppose, will come from somewhere like Nigeria. We'll just let Africans get on with it. I mean, they're doing an amazing job.